A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. This beautiful passage from Isaiah chapter 11 reminds us that our Lord God can indeed bring wonderful life from that which appears dead. Hello, this is Father Thomas once again, and welcome to another of the Sprouting Stump podcast series. In this series, we dive theologically and spiritually deeper into various topics of our faith that might need a renewal so the grace of God can blossom more fully within our hearts. In this talk for his New Manna Retreat, Father Thomas discusses the second phase of the New Manna, the Holy Eucharist, exploring manna as sacrament. Entering into the next section, which is the second face of the new manna, which is the Eucharist, Holy Eucharist. Now, I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. That's not the best face. It's so much better, so I, uh, we'll get into that a little bit here. But I just wonder, before the prayer, just read the scripture where we get this idea of, of the... Um, of why we have the face of the Holy Eucharist. Do you know what Eucharist stands for? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So we have the sense of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is always a part of the bread of life. And there's two sections where we get this from. In John 6, 11, when Jesus was multiplying the loaves, he took the loaves, gave thanks, and then distributed them. This idea that every time Jesus shares of himself, he always gives thanks as part of that. And of course, we have the words that we know so well from the Mass, from Matthew 26, 27. He took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. So it's this idea of thanksgiving that is this new second face of the new manna. So in that sense, we should say a little prayer of thanksgiving. So let us now turn to our Lord Jesus and say, just simply say, Lord Jesus, you give yourself to us as the bread of life, and so much more. And so with all of our heart, we thank you for the great gift of your love. We thank you, Father and Holy Spirit, for as a great Trinitarian God who continually pours out your love towards us, a love that we don't deserve, a love oftentimes we don't appreciate. We give you thanks with all of our heart again, because you continue to walk with us, you continue to love us, you continue to feed us and build us up. As we continue this retreat, may our hearts always be filled with that wonderful sense of thanksgiving that in all things, no matter what we're dealing with, what we're facing, you are there with us. You promise us so much more that we can never imagine. So, Lord Jesus, we just simply say thank you, thank you, and thank you. Amen. Amen. All right, guess what the song is? Give thanks with a grateful heart. How appropriate. Okay. I'll let them do their stuff. Thank you. 
some outward sign of a of an invisible reality. So, in the Church of Sacraments, though, that invisible reality is always what? In relation to the sign, it's always what? Because you can have an outward sign of an, in, of an invisible reality in the world. But in the sacraments, that invisible reality is always grace. Outside the world, yes. It's always something that is not worldly. When we look at the Eucharist, we're saying, this is this idea of thanksgiving. What are we thanking God for? What, what's this idea? When Jesus gives thanks to God, what is he thanking God for? I mean, he's Jesus. Remember that he, we read that when he breaks the bread, and even at, at bless, the bless. he does the, uh, he thanks God for, did he get like a neat bowling ball for his birthday? <laughs> what is the one thing that Jesus desires of his father more than anything else? He was well. His 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 self. What Jesus desires of all other things is the Father. He wants from the Father, the Father. He wants the fullness of what his Father can give to him. That's the beauty of God, because like there is no partials. So when we say he wants God's love, well, God is love, right? So when, when the Father gives love, he's giving himself in the fullness, because that's what he wants. So Jesus wants more than anything to receive the fullness of his Father. So what does he thank God for? What is he saying? Thank you, Father. You're thinking, well, Jesus, you've got it all. So now there should be an answer there. He's got it all. But who does he get it all from? His Father. And so he's always in recognition that his receipt of anything is reason for him to look beyond whatever and to see the Father and give thanks to the Father. He's always extending that out because everything good that Jesus has is from the Father. Everything. His existence, his relationships, it's all flows first from the Father and then given to the Son. And so Jesus himself is always offering the sense of thanksgiving because of what he's received. Because what he desires most, he gets. The difference between Jesus and us is what? Because how much of the Father do we get? Let me rephrase that. How much of the Father does he give? Himself. Oh, remember we just said, right, God, he doesn't give, like, part of himself. He doesn't say, you know what, it's Monday today, you only get, like, 33% of my love. No, it's the fullness of himself. Okay, so, we all, with the Father, are given that gift of the fullness of his love, who he is. So what's the difference between Jesus and us? We don't receive it all. Why not? We don't want it. You don't want all of his love? Uh, we think we don't. And the blocks are? Sin. Exactly. We put up a barrier to that. The only reason we don't receive the fullness of the Father is because we simply put up a block to getting it. He doesn't hold himself back because of our sin. We hold him back because of our sin. This idea of thanksgiving in the Eucharist is the recognition of we are getting the fullness of what? God's love. It's pointing us to a higher reality that what we're receiving 
is more than a piece of bread that nourishes us. It's something that actually is supposed to transform us because it is God himself. Once again, I have to jump the gun a little bit here, so I'm always like kind of going forward. So we should always be in this constant state of thanksgiving. The course of the church, I said that one of the big things they were focused on is this idea of meal. Now, when we think about meal, what do we tend to think about? I mean, when somebody says, let's go have a meal, what's the first thing you're thinking? You're not thinking companionship. You're thinking about a hamburger. Okay. Okay, but when somebody says, let's go have a meal, what comes to your head? Your favorite thing? Your food. Something like that. What restaurant? Where are you going? What are you cooking for me? Okay, when's the last time when somebody said, walked up to you and said, hey, you want to come with me? We're going to go have a nice meal. How many of you thought, oh, are we going to Mass together? No, because the term meal is very what? Mundane. It's a part of our everyday life. And so in the early days of the church, when a lot of the focus was on this idea of meal, they realized, you know what? We have to get beyond that mentality because this is not just a meal. There's something more happening here. So when they were looking at it as the bread of life, the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, realized we have to look at it in the new face. We have to see beyond the physical bread. We have to see it as more than simply a thing that we take in to nourish us. And so we have to see another reality. So what did we say sacrament was? Invisible. That it points to. So what's the outward sign? Host. Which or is, which at one point was bread. bread. Exactly. So outwardly, we've got this, what looks like bread. Though since it's sacrament, it's pointing to something else. And that inward reality is, of course, Jesus. Jesus. So they went to recognize that we need to stop seeing this as something that you're simply taking. We have to start moving to the next level. So what's happening is the idea of Eucharist as a sacrament, started pointing them to something more. Because you could ask them, what are you thankful for? When they first the early church, they could say, what are you thankful for? They can say, well, our faith. What God gives to us. They didn't stop at food. It's not like they said, well, you know what, we had you know, really cool lamb, like, you know, and so I'm really thankful for that. There was something so much greater that they had to be thankful for. So this idea of thanksgiving wanted to point them beyond their mundane reality of simply being nourished in a physical way to something even greater. Now, when you eat food, you eat it for two reasons. Why do you eat food? Because you're hungry. But it has two purposes, enjoyment and nourishment. But the primary is nourishment, but if it always tastes horrible, you tend to not want to eat as much. And so you, there's a reason why it tastes good, so that you will actually partake of it. Which is why you should never eat mushrooms, because they're horrible. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a personal thing here. Okay. Anyways, we tend to eat the foods that we like. But what somebody would say, list all the things that you're thankful for at the end of the day, you could probably come up with, what, 50 things, 100? So you had a hundred things. How many of them are going to be food? Three at least. Probably three. 
which means you've got like 97 different things that are not food. And so in the early days of the church, the space of Eucharist was to tell them we have to start looking at this in a greater way. We have to look at it beyond the reality that we're faced with because we're seeing bread, which reminds us that we're being nourished by the bread of life. But we have to look beyond that idea of bread. This idea of thanksgiving was supposed to help them to realize that. Jesus was not getting bread from the Father. He didn't need bread from the Father. In fact, if you think about it, he was actually denied bread by the Father. You're going to be thinking, what? Remember, 40 days, we're talking about the whole 40 years of the desert, Jesus, 40 days in the desert. What does he deny himself? Food, bread. Because that's the will of the Father for him to deny himself. So the Father actually said, you don't even get bread. And yet he could still offer thanksgiving anyways. And so this new face of the Eucharist was to get them to start realizing there's something greater here that you have to start being appreciative of. I'm not just feeding you, I'm giving you myself. And when somebody gives themselves to you, what's an expectation? When bread gives itself to you, what do you give back to it? I'm really hoping you say nothing at this point here. You don't give anything back to it. It's a piece of bread. I already said, how many of you have a relationship with bread? And you all, you know, thankfully said, none of us do, okay? So when God gives himself to us, this idea is it needs to point to something more than what the first face is all about. So this becomes actually a transitionary face. We're looking at the face of bread to look at the reality of a new face. That's kind of the cool mystery of it. So this face actually points to another face. And that'll be the third section. But that's why the church introduced this particular face. It's why the Holy Spirit inspired them, because they were so caught up in meal, they lost sight of the fact that this isn't all about a meal. Wasn't that the big 70s thing? I mean, I was a little kid back then, getting in trouble all the time. So wasn't that the 70s kick was, it was all folks about, it's not an altar, it's a table. We gather around the table, and that was kind yeah. of all the songs were all about meal, and this yeah. and that and the other. What happens when the church says, well, that's great, but you know what? That's not the primary purpose of the Mass. It's not about a meal, wasn't it? But we lost sight of that. We did the exact same things that they did in the early days of the church. And also what happened with Israel. When they were looking at the manna, the reason why they got sick of it, because they always saw it as what? Food. As food. As only one of the four reasons why he gave us to us. Now, we're already, in, I said there's four faces, right? There's four reasons for the manna. So now I can tell you what the second reason for the manna was. For them to have reason to give thanks to God, to be reminded every day that everything they receive is from Him. It was to remind them that your very existence is because of me. It was for them to become a Eucharistic people. So He gives them manna not only to nourish them, but to remind them that this is a gift that I am giving to you, in spite of the fact of what? Mary, you said this before, in spite of the fact that the Israelites were a bunch of what? Stiff-necked. Ingrates. Exactly. Stiff-necked, ingrate, sinning, <laughs> low-level, lying, pathetic, whatever it was. I mean, they were worshiping false gods. They were getting in trouble. They were doing all this. And they were doing this in the desert, for goodness sake. Could you imagine if they were in Las Vegas? <laughs> Which is where they always wanted to go to. If anyone's watching from Las Vegas, I'm sorry for, like, ragging on your city. But anyways, it's called Sin City for a reason. I didn't come up with that term. But the point is, they lost sight that this manna was something more than simply bread. 
It was supposed to bring them into a, a new way of seeing things. It was from above. Moses even says, this is a gift. I'm going to, I didn't read this quote because I didn't have my program with me, but I'm going to go back to the man of things. We're going to take a step back here just so you understand what this was supposed to be for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain down bread from heaven for you. Bread from heaven. Which means he didn't say, I'm going to make a bunch of natural stuff grow on the ground. He said, bread from heaven. God himself says to Moses, this is not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. And they lost sight of that supernatural substance. Because they kept seeing it as boring bread. We're so sick of this manna. Now, you've all been married for more than a few days, right? All right. When's the last time one of you walked up to your spouse and said, I am so sick of the way you say you love me. Can't you, like, like spice it up a little bit or something? I mean, for God's sake, if I hear you say I love you in that tone one more time, I am just going to, like, look, fit. Well, that's what the Israelites were doing, because this was an act of love from God, and it was like, oh, this is like, blah. Can't you spice it up a little bit, God? You know, put a little bit of frosting on it or something like that? You know, maybe throw a little bit of cheesecake with it? And so their idea of the bread of life, this manna, was limited to this idea of a piece of bread, and so therefore they lost the appreciation of what God was doing. And so the church was saying, we need to recognize that one of the faces of the Eucharist, of this new manna, has to be something beyond that. It has to point us to a greater reality so we can really recognize that this is not just a nourishment. It's from above in order to bring us into a better union with God. It's something so much more. And if we see it as simply a daily fix, then we're doing the same thing the Israelites do. And that's why people don't appreciate it, because they don't recognize just the significance of what this is pointing to. It is a sacrament. The reality that we see is pointing to something so much greater. Now, if I told you that for the next 40 days, none of you can eat food, anyone going to be excited? Now, if I told you you're going to have to go 40 days without the new manna, now, of course, I've got people here that are interested in the new manna, so you're going to say, well, that's going to kind of stink. You know, the churches opened back up after the COVID. How many people were coming back? It was a trickle. Now, I realize that people were afraid, so I'm not going to bash anybody for being a little bit afraid. But too many people were doing what? When we had a dispensation, too many healthy people were doing what? Staying, Staying at home. Staying and yes, I will criticize for that because that was totally inappropriate. Because it was convenient to sit at home because they did not have true thanksgiving for the understanding of the gift of Eucharist. That this was something more that we need. All they were saying is, well, I don't need that. I got a dispensation. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Just because you have a dispensation doesn't mean that you should walk away from this gift. And that's the beauty of this particular face. It's supposed to constantly keep us aware that everything we have that's good comes from God, and what we receive in the Eucharist is the ultimate gift. There is nothing greater that we can get. This is going to get even more deep when we get into it after lunch, where it gets even better and better and better. But there's no greater gift that we can receive in this world than the Eucharist. 
because you were receiving a piece of the promised land in its fullness. And so that idea of Eucharist, we should not be seeing it as the word. When you think Eucharist, how many of you would hear that word Eucharist immediately think Thanksgiving? Okay, I got a couple of you. Every time the word is spoken, every time it is actually seen, every time you walk into a church and you recognize the Eucharist is there, whether it's in adoration, whether it's during communion, or whatever it is, when you're talking about it, seeing it, hearing about it, discussing it, in any way, your first thought should be a prayer of thanksgiving for all that God has done. Because it points to something so much more. And after lunch, we're going to get to that so much more because it gets so much better even. It's like awesome that it, what it points to. And that's the beauty of the second face. That's why I said the Eucharist is not even the best face. Because the thanksgiving to God is not better than the what? That what you're thankful for, right? I mean, it's great to give thanks to God, but it's even better to give the very thing that we're thanking Him for. So after lunch, we're going to get into that, what we're thanking Him for, in a wonderful new way. But the idea of the Eucharist is supposed to help us remember everything that we receive that's good in this world is because of what we receive and what looks like a piece of bread. I want you to think about that. Remember what I said before. The goodness of the entire world flows through the host. Which means what you're receiving is the goodness of the entire world contained in that little piece of bread that's not bread. That's pretty powerful if you think about that. All the good that's ever happened in the world, that ever will happen, is contained in something the size of a silver dollar. Not even bigger than a silver dollar. Silver dollar is a little bit bigger than a quarter. Beginning of creation of the world, the second coming, all of that goodness is contained in that which you receive. If that's no reason to give thanks to God and to see this as something more, I can't even think what is. I don't know what else to even say. In every one of the Mass, in the Eucharistic prayers, we, we get a reminder of these different faces. Eucharistic prayer, too, is, even though it's the shortest one, it actually contains three of the four faces in it itself. Oh, you know how every Eucharistic prayer, you know what the, Eucharist, the prayer of the Eucharistic prayer is? You don't know what that is? Right after we go, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit, lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God, who is right and just. Right after that's called the prelude to the Eucharistic prayer. It always starts off the exact same way. You know what that starting off is? It's truly right and just. Our duty and our salvation to always and everywhere give you thanks. Every Mass is a reminder. So think about that. It's the Eucharistic prayer, and it starts off saying, it is our duty and our to give thanks to God because of what is about to experience right after that. The fullness of the goodness of time is coming next. So it's a powerful thing. By the way, when you receive the host, do not say thank you. <laughs> you can say that to the Jesus or whatever, but uh, the proper response is not thank you. I mean, I appreciate it, but uh, don't be thanking me. I just like I'm just a messenger boy. So, yes. Okay. Amen. Just really quick look at the discussion question, and then we will break for lunch.
All right, the first one is just kind of for your own introspection, unless anyone has a, something to share. Does this space look a little bit different to you now? The space of the Eucharist. So that's something that's to reflect on. And our thanks to God, do we long for something more? That's kind of the question I want you to think about, is when we receive the gift of God, are we still longing for something more? Now, what do you think the answer to that should be? The question is, do we long for something more? No, yes. we have everything right there. Well, to some degree, but we haven't quite explained the fullness of what that is. The question is supposed to inspire two different directions. A good longing and a recognition of sometimes we're still not happy with what we've got. And we still long for something else, something more. God, you're not enough. Sin is our way of longing for something more. Praise and worship is our way of saying, God, you're enough. But our praise and worship has to be more than praise and worship. And that's going to be the after lunch special. So now that you're all uh, geared up for food, um, does anyone have any comments, questions, concerns? That statement, the goodness of the whole world is contained in the universe. That's almost hard to grasp that. Yes. Yes. That's the beauty of the Eucharist. What we see points to something that is so much greater, and that's why we have to always recognize these different faces. There's something greater there. Yes. It's making sounds a deeper inner thoughts of the human blood. I mean, I can talk myself. You know, we understand this. But when you realize, like with Gwen said, that mm-hmm. that comment. Uh, and we're only on the second phase. We can't take it over, Father. <laughs> That wrapped up the discussion for the second phase of the new manna. Father has some points that he would like us to ponder. The face of Holy Eucharist is almost as old as the church. It was in the early part of the second century that this particular title was given to the new manna. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. Naturally, as the early church grew in their understanding of Jesus, they had more and more to be thankful for, most especially the gift of this bread come down from heaven. Yet as their understanding grew, so too did the mystery of this bread. While the Church has always considered the celebration of the Mass within the context of a meal in which we partake of the bread of life, the real beauty of this face is that it points to a greater reality than the simple eating of a meal in which we are nourished. In the Holy Eucharist, our eyes should not only be gazing upon that which is before us, but our hearts should be gazing upon that which our eyes cannot see. Manna as sacrament reminds us that there is a greater reality contained within the reality of the host we see. Like St. Thomas, after Jesus rose from the dead and he went to visit the apostles in the upper room, our eyes should see that which is before us, a physical piece of bread, but our mind and heart should be gazing upon something so much more.